Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Now, I'm excited to be here. I am. It's very uh, exciting to be doing stand-up outside of my own country. Yeah. No, not because of you. How it's become. Fucking US, everything's so goddamn heavy. Fucking joke you tell. Well, what did you mean about that? I didn't go to the gym today. Are you calling me fat? I feel fucking triggered. Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. My guest this week is the great stand up comic Bill Burr. Bill has been hosting the Monday Morning Podcast since 2007 and is also the creator and star of F is for Family on Netflix. His new special is out on Netflix right now. It's called Paper Tiger, and it is full of great jokes and controversial ones as well. Uh, Bill really likes to push buttons with his comedy, but he tells me in this episode that he has no time for outrage culture. We talked a lot about his long stand-up career and the unexpected directions that it's gone over the past few years. That includes roles on Breaking Bad and one in The Mandalorian, which is the standalone Star Wars TV series that's coming soon on Disney+. Before we get to Bill, I want to ask you all to uh, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It really helps people find the show, and I would love to hear what you think of it. So now let's go to my interview with Bill Burr. Yeah, it's it's bright and early. Are you a, are you a morning person in general, or? Oh, you know it's weird. In my life, I when I was a kid, I was a morning person because I had a paper route. It was back when they let kids still have that job. Um, <laughs> back pre, when, back pre, when there were papers. Well, pre <laughs> to catch a predator was what killed that fuck. Oops, that's what killed that job. Am I allowed to curse on this? Yes, you are. Okay. Um, and then when I became a comedian, you know, obviously was not getting the prime spots, so I was working late nights, food spots, and all that. Then I became a night person, so I can kind of do both. Yeah, you know? m- most comedians I find are not morning people. Oh, um, I like getting up in the morning. Yeah, I do. I actually feel like you get a jump in the day. I feel like a, uh, if I ever sleep past like nine o'clock, I feel like lazy loser. I wasted the day. Yeah. Um, well, you have uh, the the Monday morning podcast, mm-hmm. so that that has morning right in the title. Yes, there. it does. Yes, it does. But it means that I record <laughs> it in the morning. People think that means it comes out in the morning. So there was a little confusion. Uh, if I could have renamed it, I would have said the Monday morning recording of my <laughs> podcast, so people wouldn't be, you know. Yeah, you you've had the podcast for quite a while now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2007, I think, is when I first started wow. doing it. I did it, got into it accidentally. I was hanging out with this comedian, uh, Robert Kelly, and I was over his podcast, uh, over his house, sorry. And uh, he, uh, we were still MySpace days. And he goes, dude, you should do this. It's called like a podcast. I'm like, what's that? He goes, it's another way to connect with your fans. So I would just do like that back then, you just called in a service. Mm-hmm. on like my flip phone and I would call in and just talk for five minutes joke around and then mention where my gigs were going to be and uh, then it just five minutes became six became eight it was almost like building an act and then I was like you guys write some questions in you know blah 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 blah, blah. and then they started writing questions I was able to expand it more we had the overrated underrated and just kind of built from there and then uh, everybody else Descended on it and just <laughs> ran with it and had these amazing like this studios and stuff. I yeah. still do mine the way I did it. I probably should From have home. expanded. 
I'm like that old lady that made pies and never sold the recipe. Everybody else franchised. <laughs> <laughs> kind of missed the boat, but yeah. it's uh, fun. Yeah, I mean, what do you what do you like about what do you kind of get out of doing the podcast that you you know as as opposed to stand up? Um, they're very, they're well, very it's different. A, I it's mean. a great way to connect with the fans. Um, it's a great way to make people laugh. I also remember having a you know a number of day jobs that I hated. And Monday sucked. So that's why I wanted to put it out on Monday to give somebody something to laugh at when they were driving to work. And uh, even though looking back, Tuesday was always the worst day. Tuesday dragged the most. I remember <laughs> Monday, you were still shaking off whatever you did on the weekend. Yeah. So it kind of flew to lunchtime. But it sucked knowing that you were back. But then Tuesday, you came in. I was like, oh, man, this is real. Well, I, well, I, I work here. Well, this show comes out on Tuesday, so that's Oh, that's there you good. go. Yeah. So you give people some entertainment <laughs> on a Tuesday. Yeah, there wasn't nearly the level of entertainment, mm-hmm. um, I guess, options that you had when I was coming up. So that was it's good and bad. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you you have a really incredible ability to just talk into a mic by yourself for for a long time, which I think yeah. is a pretty unique skill. It's it, and different from stand up, too, right. don't you think? Because you don't have an audience that you're kind of bouncing off of. So how did you kind of learn to do that, or was it easy from, from, ye- the, from, from the start? From years of talking to myself like a crazy <laughs> person. Now I would say uh, no, it wasn't easy at first. I would run out of things to say, so. It was just like being a comedian. So I, I was comfortable doing five minutes, and I became comfortable doing six, and then seven. And um, you know, I just kind of have the idea what I want to start with, and then I just kind of go. And there's 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 people like that uh, that don't necessarily do like a podcast that can really, you know, do stuff like that. So um, I don't know. I don't really. I didn't really think about it that much. I didn't know that they were going to grow into what they grew into. Mm-hmm. I never. In my like the whole thing was, people listen. You know, it'll make more people show up with whatever funny bone I was playing at. Like yeah. I never, I never saw it. Like it's funny that they call them podcasts. I mean, it's basically it's a radio show on the internet. It's yeah. the same thing. So that's why it's always funny when these older guys on radio. I don't get it. Like what what is a podcast? It's like well, what you're doing. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not at their pro level because you got to yeah. respect that those guys probably actually went to like broadcasting school. I actually hey, didn't you study radio? Yeah, but only because I was such an introvert. And nervous to get in front of people that uh, I chose radio because it was being on the microphone talking to people, but I couldn't see them. So it was my baby step way. I had mm. never had any intentions of doing radio. It was all to overcome mic fright and talking in front of people and uh, being, you know, um, painfully shy in, I, in really a, most situations. It was weird. Like when I was with people I was comfortable with, I'm kind of like the guy I am now. Mm -hmm. But then 90% of other social situations, I would just completely shut down and be quiet until I got like comfortable, like six months into the situation. (laughs) And then all of a sudden people just, Jesus Christ, what happened to you? Well, I think anyone who watches your stand-up would be surprised to, to think of you as, as shy, um, especially, you know... Most these, performers are. Yeah. Uh, and we're talking uh, the morning that your new Netflix uh, special, Paper Tiger, uh, yeah. comes out, yeah. which is very exciting. Um, it is exciting. Have you already uh, Have you already gotten feedback on it? Because I know people can all of a sudden start watching it immediately and tweeting yeah. about it. And I've uh, heard that there's feedback out there, but I don't read any of it. You don't, you don't like to... Nope. Uh, I go... I watch Turner Classic Movies for a week, <laughs> and... Uh, I just I just need enough people to like it so that like when I go wherever I'm performing at to fill up the venue mm-hmm. that's all I need but I don't need to be listening to uh 
all of that crap because so much of it is negative. Because yeah. even if they like it, it's like, ah, it was really fun. What's up with your shirt? Uh, <laughs> why did you do this? I mean, uh, you know, and then the worst ones are the people who apologize. I'm sorry. But it's like, dude, you're not sorry. You're not sorry. So I don't need any of that. I love the special. I love and I'm extremely happy that I got to work with one of my great friends, Mike Binder, on it. And the, the, yeah, the he, job he, he did. It. Yeah. Ah, it looks beautiful. Just the way he shot the thing. Um I'm so happy about. So um, I hope that people, you know, take time to notice what he did because yeah. uh, a, I mean, a great director can take a performance and, and bring it up, or if they mess it up, they can take it down. Mm -hmm. And I thought he just moved it to another level. So this is your sixth hour-long special, is that yes, right? Yes, it is. Um, and it, and you've been with Netflix now for a while, kind of mm -hmm. before that before Netflix became the the one and only place for yeah. for uh, for comedy, as for, it seems sometimes. Yeah, I was. Um, I I I don't know. Uh, podcasting, I fell into. Yeah. Luckily, Netflix. I I was one of those things. I saw it for what it was, just because I was trying to do what they were doing, mm -hmm. which was I was trying to go international, not global the way they did, but I was yeah. trying to go international. I I had already booked this tour in like 2009, in like you know Stockholm, Sweden. Went through um, Scandinavia and mm -hmm. uh, did and did something in England too. I think way back in the day and I was just like hey this could be something here like if I get my special and these people the English speaking people can see it over here this could drive ticket sales over here and when I first got in business with them it's like every country that I was going to either Netflix was just about ready to be there or, or they were already there and then literally two two and a half years later the next time I did the European tour they were just everywhere yeah and um I've been with them so long that I remember when I, I mentioned uh, that my special was on Netflix, I, they, people would laugh in the crowd. There'd be a couple of... Because <laughs> they were considered the, the company that, you know, delivered... They were like Blockbuster um, meets uh, Postmates. You yeah. know, they would just sort of bring the, the movie to you. And they had transitioned to this streaming thing that people didn't understand was about ready to take over the entertainment industry. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know it was going to... Yeah. I mean, I well, had no you were, idea. You were ahead of the curve on that. Well, I was just going to use them like, well, the, you know, I didn't know that they were from the juggernaut that they did. Yeah. I don't think anybody saw that other than them. But like, I just saw them as like, this is just another way to maybe get a few more people to show up because like, you know, the first 15 years of my career, I couldn't draw flies, you know, and just, <laughs> well, first you had to work your way to being a headliner and, um, you know, it takes a long, at least, I don't know how it is now for, for, for comics coming up with the power that they have to get their name out there themselves. But when I was coming up, I was still in that era where it was just like the powerful people, you know, mm -hmm. had to at some point put their hand on their shoulder and be like, okay, <laughs> we've decided it's your turn to try and make it. You yeah. Know? Was there a powerful person that did that for you? Yeah, a whole, a whole bunch of people. I, I, a whole bunch of people helped me out coming up. Um, let's see here. Um Aside from all the great headliners that I saw when I was in Boston, um, I would say getting a small thing, a uh, couple sketches on Chappelle's show. Mm -hmm. I did Howard Stern a couple of times. And then what? Uh, and then I did the Rich Bitch tour with uh, the late, great Charlie Murphy and Donnell Rawlings. That got me some exposure. And then the next big thing was was a, a twofer. I, I did a half hour for HBO, and then I, I got to sub for Jim Norton 
on Opie and Anthony mm. when he was doing Louis C.K.'s the original the uh, the sitcom that he did. Yeah, Lucky Louis. Lucky yeah. Louis. Yeah, and th- both those things came out at this almost simultaneously. And I did a Rascals in New Jersey, and that was the first time I sold out like all four shows. Wow! And um, and then I remember like going, feeling the crowd's energy of like up until that point, I walked out and it was just like people just came to the club because it was what you did. Yeah, they were just there to see comedy. Yeah, so it was my <laughs> job to get them. Yeah. And then this was the thing was just like, this is the first time I dealt with the pressure of expectation mm-hmm. where it's just like they were expecting you to be funny. And it was, it was a whole new kind of nervousness. And it took, uh, took it was like a six week adjustment. Yeah. Do you, per, do like, you prefer uh, having to win a crowd over or having a crowd have those high expectations? Oh, high expectations because it means I'm a draw because <laughs> I don't want to go back to not being a draw because yeah. that was... Uh, you know, that's when you really, for any comics listening, that's when you really got to sort of uh, really put the blinders on because it can be a really depressing, like doing the road and being in comedy condos and having that creeping thought of like, oh, God, am I going to be the guy who doesn't make it? And, like all, and trying to push out that negativity and then working with the person who didn't make it, mm-hmm. who's like just their negativity trying to <laughs> seep into what you're doing. It's really like... One of those things, which is why, like, you know, everybody who gave me encouragement, I always remembered it because I, I really held on to. I always tell the story of how, you know, Dave Chappelle said something nice to me, you know, in the early 2000s. And I held on to that for like five years. Yeah. So no matter how bleak it got, I was like, Dave Chappelle said I was funny. Dave Chappelle <laughs> said I was funny. <laughs> there's a light somewhere. There's yeah. a light. I yeah. can't find it, but there's going to be a light at the end of this. Um, so I want to talk about the new special. Um, you filmed it in London. Yeah. Uh, why did you Why did you want to film a special in London? I had no intentions of doing that. And then uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to perform at Royal Albert Hall because um, uh, just a huge music fan. I played drums as a hobby. And John Bonham was obviously like most drummers, uh, white boy rock drummers. He was like one of my favorites, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, my favorite concert footage was there. So I wanted, you know, one time I did it, uh, I was doing some gigs in London and I just took a tour of it just Mm because I just wanted to see it. I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be able to play there. And then, you know, four or five years later, I performed there and, you know, my agent manager came over like, you know, we're not missing this, man. We want to to check this out because they're both big music fans too. So they came over and the show went great. I'll be honest with you, I, I... couldn't quite get out of my head mm-hmm. the first that first time I did it, which was June of uh, last year, because I just kept thinking I'm standing where Robert Plant was standing <laughs> and John Bonham's drums are right there, and I and I just didn't feel worthy. I just felt like I'm up here doing my shit and dick jokes. This doesn't even make sense. Yeah. And but the show ended up going great, and I got off stage, and you know, I was talking to my agent and manager, and I, and they, they I think they were the ones. They go, you should shoot a special here, and I was mm-hmm. like, you think so? And they were like, yeah. And I was just like, well, that would be cool because, you know, with each special, you know, I, I try to make, you know, I've done it in, in the North, the South, the West Coast, the East Coast. I did one in black and white. I always try to make it a little bit different. Yep. So it's just not, here he is. <laughs> the same more, thing, yeah. More yelling, you know. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right. Without really thinking about it, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it here. And then I was smoking a cigar with uh, Mike Binder. And he threw his hat in the ring that he, and the whole thing was he just wanted to go to London because he loves London. He wanted yeah. to smoke a cigar with me in London. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, let's do that. And then I was like, fine, okay, we're going to do that. Great, awesome. So 
Then I was just doing stand-up, and then as it was moving for, closer and closer, I started thinking, like, why the hell did I pick London? <laughs> I got a lot of, uh, you know, you know, I'm a U.S. comic. Like, this, this could potentially go bad. So that was kind of creeping into my thought. And then kind of a pretty big comedian, actually a really big comedian, questioned me going there. He goes, that's an American special. You shouldn't do that over there. It's just as I already had the whole thing mm. locked in. <laughs> so then I had to block him out. Yeah. Like, fuck that guy. Fuck what he said. You know, that's which is so much of this business. And I just kept the whole way up to it. Yeah. I was 80% like, this is a great idea. Mm. And then 20% of us was like, you're an idiot. You got this great hour. What if... They don't get it. Yeah. Well, so well, what I think is so interesting about it, you know, especially at the beginning of the special, you you're kind of framing it as telling these foreigners what's going on in America. Yeah. What's you know what's fucked up in America right yeah. now. So was that was that appealing to you to kind of and you probably do that in other places you go in in Europe too. That right? was more of like uh, if you ever watch baseball, you ever see a catcher try to make a ball a strike. Yeah. That was just me framing the strike yeah. zone mm-hmm. so I could kind of talk what mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about. It isn't necessarily, I mean, that act that I was doing, I still do it here. Yeah. You know, I mean, that whole, you know, the, what do they call it, outrage culture mm-hmm. is like uh, one of the most misrepresented things out there yeah. as far as just like how they will make such a small percentage of people seem like they're 300 million people just for the simple fact and it's not even because they even necessarily believe in their cause it's just the amount of where the money at is eyeballs and and controversy and people arguing and being offended and all that makes people and watching somebody get in trouble makes people stop on your website or your TV channel yep. and watch but it's just not an accurate portrayal of where the where people's heads are at. It just isn't, mm-hmm. and I know that because I've I I'm out there, and it's just being a comedian. It's like you're campaigning for an office where there's never an election. You're out there, you're shaking hands, you're meeting people. People are talking to you. They're talking about their 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 where they live, what's bothering them, what's cool about the place that you're at. And you get this really. Way more of a an idea of what's going on than somebody who's not traveling mm-hmm. and is just putting out a blog or whatever the hell they're doing. So um, yeah, I mean that that's become a really big theme of your comedy, I think, especially over the last few years. Does it feel like it's changed a lot since you know when you were starting out? That in terms of outrage culture and just how you know what it feels is? like. It it feels like Chicken Little. Yeah. Where everybody, you know, you go on stage and you're just, in, in some nights you're like going to do a bit. You're like, oh, should I say this? And it's just like, like, what is going to happen? It's just a joke. And, and like 99% of people there, 100%, most nights, realize they went to a comedy club and everything you're saying is, is this, you're not watching legislation being written here. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to change anything. It's just somebody screwing around. And um, yeah, like, I mean, I I do... Hundreds and hundreds of shows a year, and maybe once every year and a half, I'll have like a real confrontation where yeah. somebody, you know, flips out or whatever. There's there's a there's a kind of mini one in the special where someone screams, uh, "Ask for consent!" at you, I believe. Yeah, but that isn't like confrontational. Yeah. What did you? How do you? How do you deal with that in the moment where you know I'm I'm filming a special and someone's heckling me? Same way you deal with it. It's just. It's fun. I like getting heckled. Yeah. If, yeah. As long as somebody has like a point. I mean, I say a lot of outrageous, like stupid things. So, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not like I. I, I mean, I don't I don't like somebody just heckling to heckle. Mm-hmm. But if I say something, 
you know, and it gets something like, hey, wait a minute, blah, 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 blah. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to hear what you have to say, believe it or not, because I don't think that I have the answers, Mm -hmm. you know, so uh, I'm interested in your opinion, believe it or not. Some, you know, I I don't, uh, the way advertising on my podcast is just the show keeps going. Mm -hmm. It's still part of the comedy. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like people heckling is still part of the comedy. It's just, the whole thing is just the show. So some nights nobody says anything. Sometimes they won't shut up. Um, but it's um, I think I think heckling is one of the cool parts of the job. I also think it's one of the cool parts about being a politician. Yeah, you know, being, one of my favorite things confronted. I ever saw a politician yeah. do was when that guy tried to throw his shoes at George Bush and he missed. <laughs> Yeah, Bush, was, yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah, it was good seeing him be good at something. <laughs> <laughs> Dodging. <laughs> well, he wasn't like I hate watching people bomb, and he just wasn't like a good public speaker or whatever. And uh, just I don't know. I just think he was between his ears when he would be trying to perform because mm-hmm. once you perform long enough, everything just becomes you know a version of stand up in your mm-hmm. head. I think, and yeah. it's just like, all right, what is this person doing that's making this work? Uh, why is it slowing down here? What do they need to need to do to speed up? Um, it's why I can't watch those presidential debates. Yeah, because they a lot of them are so astoundingly bad at public speaking, and it's just simply because they can't do what I. Although Trump has kind of showed that you could. As a politician, yeah, but he, as a comedian, he, de- he debates like a comedian, sort of. Well, if a comedian gives you, if somebody gives a comedian crap, you can be like, "Yeah, go fuck yourself." <laughs> but as a politician, you can't. It. But I think now maybe you could. Yeah. I don't know because I was what blew me away watching Trump do what he did was the things that he said in the past, like would take down somebody's campaign, or you you thought it would. If you said those things and you thought that the media would be all over them and then that would be it. And then you just realized that they weren't prepared for his answers, his responses, where it would just be like, I remember when they were like, you've, you, you know, you've said all this stuff about women. You said this about women. You said that about women. You said that about women. And he was just like, uh, no, I didn't. I said that about Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah. And then and then the, the follow up was like, well, no, I mean, you've said it about other people like didn't expect him they expect him to squirm mm-hmm. he doesn't squirm and he went like no and then then they were like no well you said that about other women he goes yeah you're probably right and then that was it yeah and I remember sitting there watching going like alright now you know you must be ready he just admitted to the point that you were trying to make now here you're gonna hammer him on it and they had nothing yeah. and I think that they were so used to people politicians just deny deny mm. deny deny or admit to half of it mm-hmm. like you know i smoked but i didn't inhale yeah like they would do that horseshit and he just came out there like yeah you know i probably said sh- stuff about women probably right <laughs> what else yeah no one knew how to how to come back at that yes it's yeah. uh yeah, uh, I it kind it's kind of blown me away too that in four years like i, I doesn't look like anybody's going to be able to, to um you know, it's like a pay-per-view fight. I want to see a good fight here. Mm-hmm. Don't, I don't want. I don't, don't want to see Tyson McNeely. Yeah, you don't see anyone in the on the Democratic side that you think can uh, 
can take him on? To be fair, I haven't watched a second of it. I, <laughs> I can't watch it because I'm so jaded. Yeah. That, uh, like, the one thing that I take from the whole Trump presidency so far is when he wanted to pull troops out of Syria, and both Democrats and Republicans were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, where the fuck is your money coming from? The <laughs> fact that they both did. Yeah, that so was one, disturbing. One of, yes, very disturbing. Very disturbing. Um, yeah, it was actually really interesting. What I was rewatching. That's why that guy your, was throwing his yeah. shoes at Bush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was rewatching your your previous special, uh, "Walk Your Way Out," right? Mm-hmm. Um, which you taped right before the 2016 election. Yes. So it's kind of interesting to watch now to see, you know, kind of where your, it's head, really where your head was at then. It's really interesting, and every I got so much shit from other comics. Why would you do that? It's like, why would I do it after? So I could be yet another guy doing yeah. 20 minutes on. Can you believe how dumb Trump is? It's just like those jokes burned out. So fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a few talk show hosts, like they were, they were like 80% of their monologue was all Trump jokes. Mm-hmm. And then, still, I mean, it still is, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, we get it. You don't like Trump. <laughs> um, you had a, I mean, you definitely had a different view than a lot of people. You said um, yeah, that it was a choice between a racist dope and the devil, uh, yeah. talking about Trump and Hillary in, yeah, in 2016. It was terrible. It was do, a, you, do you still uh, you stand by that? You still oh, feel, absolutely. Like, feel that way? It was a uh, it was a bar at two a.m. and you had to go home with somebody. Absolutely. Oh shit! What a fucked up time this is, huh? It's so weird to tape a special right before a presidential election, especially like one like this. Like this is literally like what is going to happen? You know? How the fuck did we end up with these two? Jesus Christ! This is like the first week of American Idol. You know? It's like really? This is what I got? Take his code! Take his code! Whatever the hell she's doing, you know? It's unbelievable. You either got a racist dope or like the devil. And I never, I never in my wildest dreams, I didn't think Trump was going to win. Um, yeah. There's no way I'm going to sit there and act like, uh, you know, I travel the country and I talk to people. <laughs> you know, people after there's an upset in sports, yeah. they, they all of a sudden they knew. knew. Yeah. yeah, I had a feeling. Um, no, I was like... And, and, you didn't, was and you didn't vote for either of them, you said, right? No, I liked Bernie Sanders. I like the guy who was actually calling out banks for what they're doing. Like, yeah. I really like that guy. And I actually think where so many politicians act like they care about people, they don't. Like, they're too wrapped up in like their career. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as Hollywood like lionizes and champions the Obamas, it's like, look at him. Look at right now. He's on the, he's on the speech tour. Yeah. Okay. And his first two speeches were to to two of the biggest banks in the 2008 scandal that left everybody upside down in their house, which I think is the reason why it opened the door for a guy like Trump and why Bernie Sanders was a better matchup. If you're looking at like Mm -hmm. boxing Mm -hmm. styles, because it was that would have been the the left's outrage candidate. Yeah. And when they tried to say like, oh, a bunch of racists showed up and voted for Trump. I thought was completely misreading it. It's like, well, where were those racists when they could have voted against a black guy for the last two elections? Yeah, and a lot of people did vote for Obama and then voted for Trump. Did that happen? Yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't aware yeah, of that. Yeah, a, there's a lot of a lot of people like that. Coming up, Bill talks about the controversial Michelle Obama jokes in his new special. Speaking of the Obamas, uh, you you have a few Michelle Obama jokes in the new special, which I thought was pretty daring because she's just about the most uh, beloved uh, human in, in yeah, the Yeah, but that's country. a comedian's job. Yeah. I made fun of Steve Jobs. I found out she's doing a tour because uh, she's doing a book tour. Yeah, she wrote a book. She wrote a book about not having a job. <laughs> I got to read that fucking 
second book, chapter one, how to know if a dick tastes presidential. Representative cock and get to the big swinging dick in the room. Was that sort of a challenge that you set yourself? Like, how do I uh, tell no, jokes about annoying. Michelle Obama? <laughs> it was annoying. I just, I was legit annoyed by the whole thing. It just struck me as funny, and it just struck me as funny too that she was considered this feminist icon. And mm-hmm. I was like, what is feminist about her life? She went to an Ivy League school. She got a, she got a, a law degree. Yeah, and then she abandoned her career to stand behind her husband and clap and smile at everything that he said. It's like the antithesis of it. Yeah. And just the attention that that gets, um, how inspirational she is. And then if you actually took two women who started their own cupcake store, they probably couldn't sell out an improv. Which to me is like, I would way rather listen to them (laughs) about, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't, it just, it was also like, look, I'm not totally shitting on her, but it is kind of, it's just like a funny, it's just a funny thing to do as a comedian when somebody, you know, is like, you know, like everybody freaking out about the last episode of Game of Thrones and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're excited about it and then come in and make fun of it. Yeah. It's just, it's just a funny thing to do. And if people like like take it seriously it makes it even funnier but i mean it's just yeah it's a joke and nobody the same way i'm not above being heckled i don't think anybody's above being made fun of right Uh, yeah if anything gets kind of backlash from this special it might it might be that though the making fun of people i have a feeling people aren't gonna some people there's no backlash there's like there's like fucking three thousand people (laughs) yeah who who oh my god out of out of how many hundred of million, 300 million of people? First of all, like, do you realize what percentage of the people in this country are not even going to see my special? Just as far as like the amount that I need to see it mm-hmm. to continue to sell tickets versus like, um, I was talking to somebody saying like, you know, I still feel like I'm under the radar. And he mentioned this big venue that I performed at. I was just like, dude, go look at the calendar at that venue. The amount of people that sell that place out that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so... I don't, like I said, I just stay, I stay off the you, internet. You don't worry about I it. I stay off the internet for like, because yeah, it was just like last week they were pissed at this guy. The week before they were pissed at this person. Mm-hmm. And then she said this and this person said that. Yeah. Back and back and back and back and Kathy Griffin with the head and mm-hmm. this guy did the MTV Music Awards and just, it's just. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Dave Chappelle. He's obviously someone who gets it uh, constantly whenever he puts out a special. I mentioned Dave Chappelle giving me. Uh, hope in this business. Yeah. I never mentioned his special in any sort of negative connotation. No, no, I just, I just meant you. Yeah, you I brought him up. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, so you do you pay any attention to to that kind of stuff when when uh, when you see other comics getting getting hit for for things that they said? Yeah, or? but they're not though. It's like they act like uh, the the country's outraged over there. Then you go to the, the grocery store. Are people like like I can't pick out an apple because of Dave's special? It's mm-hmm. like it's it's Chicken Little. Yeah. Everybody's acting like the sky is falling, and then there's like you know like legit problems like you know uh, you know the drug epidemic and 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 uh, you know <laughs> oceans being polluted and and this never ending war and us being bankrupt and all that. And I just think either those problems are too overwhelming, or there's so much money being thrown at um, 
24 hours news networks, the fact that they don't cover that, but they'll jump all over, you know, somebody's Caitlyn Jenner joke. I don't know. Um, so I want to go back a little bit um, in your career and, and your life. Uh, you grew up outside Boston. I'm also uh, from, from Boston area. I grew up in Arlington. You I noticed in, the 617 uh, area code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, what, what was it like, uh, what was, what was your life like growing up there? I know from watching, uh, F is for family, I yeah. feel like I get a little, uh, taste of maybe what your life was like. I don't know how close that, uh, that, well, that it's, aligns. It's loosely based on my childhood, Mike Price, who co- co-created the show, the great Mike Price from, uh, The Simpsons and, uh, everybody in the writer's room and like, when we were interviewing writers, one of the things we'd be like, you know, tell us some stories from your childhood. Mm-hmm. And it was like, ah, my brother used to just beat me up for no reason or whatever. All right, send us a script. <laughs> or if they were just like, you know, uh, no, it was really nice. We went to church every week. And, uh, you know, if it was too nice, we'd be like, all right, thank you. <laughs> so it's loosely based. Like if my family um, watched it they there would be things there, there's a few things like my dad used to say i'll put you through that fucking wall he did say that mm-hmm. um and then there was a few things that happens to bill or other characters that actually happen to me but then there's also a lot of other stuff in there that happened to other writers in the room which is great because when i did it i didn't want to put all my family's dirty laundry out there um embarrass anybody because i respect the fact that i was dumb enough to get into this business um <laughs> And I feel that like somebody and their stories being in the public eye is their decision. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which is uh, why I don't understand why, you know, people post pictures of their children and put it on social media with all yeah. the creeps out there. I just don't <laughs> understand why you would do that. I just like let your kid decide when they want to be out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You like, have you seen like those videos where like parents are like the kids about ready to fall off a couch and they could clearly catch the kid in time but they're going for youtube video yeah, clicks that's, uh, that's, that's it's pretty, disturbing yeah yeah um yeah you don't even uh have jokes joke about your uh your daughter right no i would not i would never yeah. do that to her i yeah. wouldn't do that to you know it's funny i actually had a joke in my special that i took out it was making fun of me how overwhelmed i was when she was born that i was actually detached emotionally for a few hours mm-hmm but just that alone, I was just like, that might hurt her feelings because I don't think she'd understand um, that that was a me thing and yeah. not a her thing. Mm-hmm. And I talked to a comic about it when I was debating and he was going, nah, I wouldn't worry about it. He goes, I did a joke one night on a late night talk show. My daughter saw it and she cried. But, you know, when she became a teenager, she understood it and it's fine. And I was just thinking, like, I don't want to make my daughter cry. <laughs> I don't want to make her cry at any age. Yeah, I mean, some comedians, their whole act is, uh, is about their kids. Yep, and you know what? That's their, you know, I'm not going to say you shouldn't do it. It's it's just some, yeah. that's not something that I, I feel comfortable doing. I think my wife is the coolest person ever that she lets me tell the stories uh, and doesn't give me any grief over it. And um, so I'm, I'm going to, like, you know, I'm going to cash in my chips and go back to the room at that point as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, trying to push my luck with the kiddo. Yeah, I mean, there must be funny things that happen that you think, oh, this can make a joke, but you have to actively decide not to not to tell it. Or no. Well, if I ever, if I were ever, I'm not saying I'm never going to tell a story about being a dad and having a kid, but if mm-hmm. I were to do it, it would it would just 100% have to be at my expense, right? And not making fun of uh, my daughter on any level. It would be, uh, you know, I don't know, just I don't know. And also, there's not a lot of jokes because she's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
so going back to your your childhood, how did you were you always a, a comedy fan? What are sort of your earliest uh, comedy memories? Yes, definitely always a comedy fan. I um, yeah, and I watched them all. I watched all the comedy shows. I watched you know um, big people for me growing up was everything from the show The Monkees mm-hmm. to uh, which they were a great comedy troupe. They really were. And then I also had a love of music, so it was such a great show to watch. I used to watch reruns of Laughing. I watched the Carol Burnett show. I watched all those roasts, you know, that they now they now show. And, and my parents were, were fans of, like, Dean Martin. And um, uh, my mother didn't like Jerry Lewis, though. But me and my, me and my dad did, so that was always fun because she just thought he was too silly. <laughs> um and we used to watch uh, CPO Sharky with Don Rickles. I watched every episode of that. And um, and then I got into my, you know, when I was really young, I used to take my paper route money. And for Father's Day, I'd always buy my dad like a comedy album, mm-hmm. you know, selfishly, knowing he would listen to it one yeah. time. And then, you know, I remember I bought him Rodney Dangerfield, No Respect, and uh, a couple others. And then I, as I got into my junior high, I started buying comedy albums for myself. And I remember buying Richard Pryor, uh, that N word's crazy, and I just bought that just because he looked. It looked like fu- like this guy looks like he's funny, and then I was like, oh my god, when I heard it, and I just bought like everything. And comedy was huge back then too. Like yeah. in the seventies, I remember when Sister uh, um, Cheech and Chong, Sister Mary Elephant, mm-hmm. that class, class. <laughs> like we used to, we and you couldn't wait for it to come on the radio because you had no, you were at the mercy of when they played it, which yeah. is something like uh, kids nowadays. I guess, you know, can't understand and like, um, or when the Thriller video came out, MTV was like, we're going to play it again at four (laughs) o'clock and you just be sitting there, you know, waiting waiting with your friends and stuff. And uh, yeah, so then I remember I got Eddie Murphy, comedian, that one where he had the rose behind his ear. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally just some white kid in the in the suburbs I'm like well this guy this black guy was funny. I bet this black guy's funny, (laughs) you know, and I got George Carlin, uh, Toledo Window Box, I think, was the first one that I bought from him. All the way then, um, Class Clown, a place for my stuff. And um, yeah, I, I just started. I, I mean, it was weird. I was buying like Aerosmith albums and then comedy albums and ACDC album and then a comedy album and heavy metal stuff. And uh, yeah, it was. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. 
but that's okay because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. It was a huge thing. Anybody who made me laugh, and I and I believe that comedians, like when you saw them go on a talk show and be funny, I believe that they were there like that all the time. I didn't know there was this, you know, to some of them a darker side or uh, or shy or or you know, um, mm. so sort of introvert. You know, I mean, because that that whole um, you know the sad clown thing kind of got gassed up a little beyond. I mean, I I've been guilty of that, but like there's. There's a lot of other colors in there. There's the introvert, mm-hmm. the shy person, the uh, person who can't shut it off. There's a lot of different kinds of comedians as opposed to the uh, – he tells jokes and he makes everybody laugh and then he goes backstage and cries. You know, yeah. it's not it's – not... which, which version of that are you? Um, good question. Uh, what was I? I was uh... – I was detached emotionally and mm-hmm. probably didn't real I didn't realize like uh how fucked up I was through my 20s and into my 30s like I remember listening to comics and their stories and stuff like that and I sort of had this weird sort of all my pain was I knew about it but it was sort of floating mm-hmm. just to the right or just to the left of actually feeling it and uh yeah through quite a long period of therapy and, you know, and therapy was only effective for, it was sort of a finite thing where then it just became like, oh, I'm just going to go here and just talk or whatever. Because I wasn't doing, I didn't understand that I had to do the work. I thought I was just going to talk. That was going to th- be magic. Yeah, or- yeah. So it wasn't until, and then it was when I was not in therapy and I was actually, you know, and I met the woman that I was going to marry, I had to like... And I was caused, and I and I realized that my anger and my uh, just general demeanor around the house was causing her anxiety, you know. And that's not something you want to do to anybody. Forget about somebody that you love. So it really, like, that was a real watershed moment in my life. It was a very painful moment in my life because it's not like the TV shows. You know, like Dr. Phil, you need to stop doing that and you got to stop doing this. And then that that's it. It's like, no, it's years and years and years and years of trying and failing. I'm still doing it. And um, I like to think I'm much better about it. And then, like, of course, having a kid really um, intensified, like, okay, this whole temper thing has to stop with me because that's sort of the demon in my family tree. Yeah. That everybody's got the demon that you try to like, at least you know, knock it down a little bit before it. In, I, I that that would really. Um, I know it's not going to happen. I, I it, just for the simple fact that I have the ability that at least when I screw up, to be like, you're right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done that. 
It's not acceptable, which is something that was not available to my generation. Mm-hmm. It was more, you know, sit there and shut the fuck up, which caused you to feel like I, th- I think when I a- analyzed a lot of my anger, it was it was uh, just immediately assuming I was not going to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so it was so whatever was happening was something that I had to accept. And and so when something was starting to go away that I didn't want, rather than just saying, hey, do you mind if, you know, just not having your foot on my armrest, I would go from that to like, the only option was I had to flip out and start yeah. dropping the F word or just sit there and seethe. And like, it took me <laughs> a long time, a long time. And I heard a lot of people and stuff. And it's just like, it, it yeah, it was not something that I was proud of about myself. So it's something that I uh, am still working on. Is there it's, is there an element of of getting that anger out on stage so that you so that it doesn't come out in your real life or do you does it does it feel like that um, at all? Yeah, well, one of the 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 uh, misunderstandings of me is that when I'm on stage doing like a character or yelling about something, I'm actually angry. It's like mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm having fun. Yeah. So it's I'm different. having the time of my life. Yeah, if I actually go, like, I've gone on stage angry. Okay, my act does not work. Yeah. And you get off stage. I anyways, I get off stage. I have a headache. Mm-hmm. I feel bad, and I feel bad for the crowd, and I feel like I let them down, and that I selfishly let my day. It's like whatever happened in my day, it wasn't their fault, and they paid for a sitter, and they paid to have a show, and not to have me just fucking go up there and have a, act like a fucking baby. So um, there's a difference between that and having something that drives you nuts and sharing it with people and then they can share in your frustration. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. And I think a lot of uh, times when people uh, say you're like an angry comic, it's like it always makes me laugh because I sit there going like they don't even I'm having the time of my life. I mean, um, it's not like I don't go up there and blow off steam and stuff like that, but I'm not up there like, and what the fuck with cell phones? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not like doing that. Yeah. Um, like I am aware of what I'm doing when I'm up there. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm talking about my anger or I, I go into something like that, I know what I'm doing. And I also, and as a comic, you're, you're constantly, without even knowing it after a while, it becomes just like a muscle. You're just listening to the crowd. Do I need to speed up? Do I need to slow down? Am I going too far? Mm-hmm. which I, you know, and then I always went, all right, that was a little too far for you guys. And they laugh mm-hmm. and then it's diffused. Yeah. Um, because if I just went up there for an hour and just screamed and yelled about stuff, that would just be punishing people, innocent people. <laughs> and I don't think I'd be selling tickets. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that it took you a long time to find the the right balance of that or find the persona that, that 27 works on years. stage? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I never tried to... Um, tried to find my voice or whatever that cliched thing is mm-hmm. and it's like I've always I've said this a zillion times I, I feel like every comic even at an open mic they walk in and they have their voice and then they get called up on stage and then they lose it and then they spend the <laughs> next 10-15 years trying to get it again and it's just because when you walking in you're uninhibited and you're just yourself mm-hmm. and you could sit at a bar and just tell a story to eight people who are your friends so you feel comfortable and you'll stand up and you'll move your arms around and you'll act it out. And you'll be doing characters and both sides of it. And you're, and you're just winging this story at the top. It's like, you, you know, you got a story to tell your friends. You don't write it out and rehearse it and all that shit. Mm-hmm. But then when you go to do stand up, you did all of that. So now you're in your head 
And the first time you do it, oh, how do I get the mic out of the mic stand? Do I leave it in here? Mm-hmm. What, is, what do I do with my other hand that's not holding the mic? And there's all of this shit that then takes you out of here and puts you between your ears. And then the whole game is getting yourself out of your head and going back to that guy who could, or, or a woman who could just sit at a bar and tell a story. Mm-hmm. So um, that took a long time and you know you try on different people's personalities that you watch i had a lot of brian regan in me when i started mm-hmm. out and you know dave attell was a guy for a while i had to stop watching him because his cadence the way he talked was just so incredible and mind-blowing in the combination of his cadence and then his jokes i was just like i gotta stop listening to this guy for a minute because um you know, he had that way of da 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 when he would go. <laughs> and I felt myself starting to go down on my punchlines, which mm-hmm. I never did. I always was yeah. more, you know, more going like up. And I was just like, uh, I have to stop doing this before people start calling me a fucking hack. So, <laughs> do you ever uh, watch uh, younger comics and feel like they're doing you? No, I've never, I've never seen that. But I do love watching younger comics, especially when I see that they have the bug and that they, uh, they love it the way I do. And then seeing somebody that you know is going to be good, mm-hmm. possibly great, you know, if they avoid the pitfalls and they work, put the blinders on and just do what you need to do. And um, I get excited by like, like I'm really excited right now with this generation that's, you know, starting to hit right now with the, you know, uh, um, like Mark Norman, mm-hmm. uh, Sam uh There's just so many people out there sam J. um yeah there's just so many of these people out there where i'm just like and, they, and they're just all like joe list they're just different uh Giannis pappas paul verzi and they're all different and they're all just have like um you know you're just watching it you're like this is gonna be this is gonna be another great one this is this person you know and 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 then you talk, you know, a lot of them I'm starting to become friends with. Paul Verzi is one of my great friends in life. And um, they talk about comedy for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours the way me, you know, Patrice and Dane when I was starting out. And it's just like, you know, you're you're psyched. You're like, oh, good. Stand-up's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. These people have the passion for it. And, uh, you know, they're going to, you know, they're coming. And I'm, yeah. that's going to push me to <laughs> try to stay better so I can, they don't trample me. Yeah. What do you remember about the, the first time that you got on stage to do stand-up? Was that in Boston? Yeah, I had, it was like an out-of-body experience. I felt like I was watching myself take the mic out of the mic stand and, and um, I, I did okay. It was a comedy competition, Find Boston's Funniest College Student. So it was like... A brilliant marketing thing for the club just to get a bunch of college kids to go in there and get mm-hmm. drunk and watch their friends bomb. <laughs> and I went in there and I, I I didn't win. I didn't even come close. I was I was sort of middle of the pack that night. Like yeah. I did okay. I was supposed to do five minutes. I couldn't remember my act. I bailed after like three. But it was it was fine. And I was just all it's all the the first like 10, 15 times you do stand-up, it's not even about how you did. It's just having the balls to go up there when they call your name. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. And then you'll figure out the rest of it. But I remember um, clearly thinking, I was 23, almost 24. And those are scary numbers when you don't know what you're going to do with your life. Mm-hmm. 24 is scary. And uh, I remember just 
coming off stage. I was like, that's it. That's what I'm doing. And this guy, Billy Martin, was hosting it. Who's uh, He since went on to write jokes for The Tonight Show and is now like the, I think like the head writer or on uh, Bill Maher's Politically Incorrect. Oh, sorry. Not Politically Incorrect was the one on- Real time. Real time. Sorry. I'm showing my yeah. age. Um, so I remember he was the host and I said, who do I, who do I call to do an open mic? And he was just such a great guy, and because he, he could have just been like, "Oh, kid, you got to blah blah blah," could have been a jaded guy, and he wasn't. He was a great guy. He said, oh, "This woman, Rita Choice," and he wrote down, "Rita, I still have the cocktail napkin somewhere, somewhere in my parents' house. I think I, I have a scrapbook of my early, early days." And uh, and she was funny as hell. She was a total ball breaker, and she used to make me call up. I, I would call in. You'd call in at a certain time the next comedy stop and I'd be like hey it's uh, Bill Burr I want to sign up for an open mic and uh, she liked me thank God so she used to always break my balls she goes no 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 you you have to say this is open micer Bill Burr <laughs> calling to get like a spot and just like you know making me pay my dues mm-hmm. and I thought it was funny as hell and I would I would do that um, to this day she's out in LA and if I ever run into her we always laugh about that and um, it was probably the first thing that made me feel like that I belonged, or I could possibly belong in, you know, the stand-up scene was her taking the time to break my balls like that because I knew that it was a positive thing. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't, she, she wouldn't she, waste her time. Yeah, with, she would have yeah. been like, yeah, all right, uh, yeah, we're all booked up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the the joy that she got out of like getting to know me through breaking my balls, like that was one of the first things that gave me hope. Like, all right, she's taking the time to break my balls. And like, that's how I grew up. If somebody shit on you, that meant that they liked you. Mm-hmm. If it was done, you know, if it had yeah. that, that certain tone, you know? Yeah. Coming up, Bill talks about improvising with Pete Davidson in Judd Apatow's new movie and explains how he ended up in the Star Wars universe on The Mandalorian. Um, I was reading in an old interview from you from like almost 10 years ago, and you said that your ultimate goal was to have a, a body of work. Um, do you uh, do you feel like you've achieved a, a body of work at this stage in your career? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Well, I, I definitely look at it. I mean, that's one of the things when I'm going back to like shooting the specials where I just, everyone to have its own vibe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, it was really fun doing the the ones in Atlanta and Nashville, just being like this East Coast guy and just being in the South. Mm-hmm. It's just this, the sound of the crowd is just different doing one in black and white. And and then as far as like the acting stuff that I'm getting to do, um, I just I just want like uh, it's not like attaining a certain place on the mountain of of people mm-hmm. knowing who you are. It's more quality. I'm trying to have like a like, you know, those people you go on their IMDb pages. It's sort of a game, me and my friends, like, who has the best, like, IMDb page? Yeah. and Yours is pretty good. I'll tell you who has the best is John Cazal. Is that his name? Uh, uh, mm. I hope I said his name right. He he was in Godfather 1, The Conversation, Godfather 2, uh, The Deer Hunter, and Dog Day Afternoon. And then, unfortunately, he passed away. Mm-hmm. From he, yeah. and all five of those yeah. got nominated. Yeah, was, yeah. I remember, yeah, he was all within that that one period. Yeah, and the, all of those got nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Every single thing <laughs> that guy did. All right. Well, yours isn't that good, but it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I just recently um, worked with a guy who had an incredible IMDb page. It was uh, uh, Dom Lombardozzi. 
and uh, I became friends with him. I uh, did this Pete Davidson Judd Apatow movie over the summer, and oh, yeah? I was saying it was his his first thing was uh, he was in uh, a Bronx Tale. Mm-hmm. He played uh, what the hell Zero or something like that. He's the guy that um, Chaz Palminteri just slaps the shit, and he's really slapping him because yeah. I asked him, "Are you really slapped?" He goes, "Yeah, he did." <laughs> it's like that's why this scene's so good. He's the kid that gets the guns for um, sees knucklehead friends, and then um, he was in The Wire, mm. Boardwalk Empire, and it's just like I mean, just monster, monster like credits. Um, he was a, he was a lot of fun to not only work with to hang out with. Yeah, what was it like working with Judd Apatow and Pete Davidson? It was awesome. It was one of some of the most fun I've had. Yeah, uh, working on something where it was. Um, it was just Judd's way of doing it is just different than anybody I ever worked with where it's just like this, this script, and then it's just you do a couple with the script, and then the script is just out the window. And mm-hmm. as long as you're not killing off characters or changing the storyline, yeah. he's cool with whatever um, with whatever you do and just how he just puts it together like a mad scientist. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how he does it. And he's just like, no, we'll get that in that coverage, and then we'll come back around here. And he has like a speaker like in the room. So when you get towards the end of the scene, you only have a couple more takes. All of a sudden, his voice will just come out of nowhere. Okay, try doing it this way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you get in the scene with somebody who is like likes to improv and stuff, mm-hmm. like I felt like my improv skills really grew. Yeah. Um because I used to be afraid to do it. Like, I was oh my God, is the director going to get mad or something like that? And when you just get somebody like that who just gives you free reign. And that was the way it was when I did Pete Holmes' great show, Crashing. Yeah. Good job, too. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, I was just in Vegas, a little side here. This guy came up to me and he said, uh, he goes, you're Bill Burr, right? I said, yeah. He said, oh, man. He goes, I loved you on that show, Chasing. <laughs> And I I didn't put it together with yeah, Crash. Like, I, was I was just on like, a show what? called Chasing. I was like, I don't think it was. Yeah, it was a show called Chasing. So I thought it was like one of those, one of those those TBS shows about the guy breaking out of jail or something. I was yeah. like, no, nah, man, I wasn't in that. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I was about that car. I go, you mean crashing? I sat there with the guy for like three minutes. <laughs> Trying as, to figure it out. Yeah, as he was giving me credit for this show that I never did. But that that was the first Judd Apatow thing that I was in. And like the script was just, it was just out the window. Mm-hmm. To the point they were like, wow, you were like one of the only comics that show, showed up and actually knew the lines. <laughs> and I was thinking, how the fuck do you show up to set and not know the lines? So, um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a great, great experience. And Pete Davidson was just like a total pro. Yeah. And like was up for anything. And, and on most days, I noticed like his scene was first and, and the last scene was him. He didn't mm-hmm. do that star thing. I'm number yeah. one on the call sheet. Shoot me out of here. Like... And he made sure everybody was comfortable. And I got to work with Marissa Tomei, who might have been, might oh, be wow. might be the best actor I have fucking worked with. She yeah. was pretty, she's pretty great, pretty unbelievable. Yeah, pretty unbelievable, and uh, definitely <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I had to give me a couple of acting lessons with some things, like <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There was I. Uh, how do I tell this story without ruining them? There was something that was on my uh, the back. I'll say in my shirt that she had to see and react to. Mm-hmm. So the way it was blocked was I had to take off my jacket and then throw it across my body with my left hand so she could see my back. Mm -hmm. And I did that on every take. And then on one take, I did it with my right hand. And I was thinking like, ah, fuck it. Oh, well, she'll just play along with it. (laughs) You know, the camera's over her shoulder, whatever. 
And she just stood there staring at me. And then <laughs> it was just dead silence. And then she just laughed. She goes, what are you doing? She's like, I got to see you back. And I'm like, I know. I thought you were going to. She goes, well, it's your coverage. Yeah. They got to pick up. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. And I was just laughing going, I know. I stink. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I had such a great time. Uh like working with somebody, you know, I mean, you're working with an Oscar winner. How long does, how often does that happen? It was just, I just seeing like her still having the passion for it, you know mm. what I mean? And just really like right down to that level. Yeah. Was uh, pretty inspiring. So yeah, that was, cool. uh, that was awesome. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, I want to do a, a little bit of a, a speed round where we go through some of your other IMDb uh, moments um, yep. and just see if there's a, a memory or sort of first thing that pops into your head when I mention them. So okay. uh, your first uh, late night stand up set, I believe, was was on Conan. Is that right? Yes, it was. Uh, Conan's been huge for my career. Yeah. So what do you remember about that first time you performed uh, stand up on Conan? Uh, my mother criticizing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What'd she say? Uh, well that was sort of like, that was 1997, Mm -hmm. I believe February of 97. Cause that was a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still from that generation. We're doing stand up on a late night talk show and then going over and doing panel which, uh, Conan has allowed me to do. And Mm -hmm. him and Andy, uh, uh, they're just so great. You know, if you're killing, they let you go. And if you you start bombing, they help you out and they save it. And yeah. all the comics that I watched growing up, like that was sort of the thing. You know, test your metal. Go out and do that five minutes. And then they call you over the couch. Johnny calls you over to the couch. And then you had to kill over there and just like talking about like having to keep your wits about you. Because like especially during the Johnny Carson Tonight Show, when you're doing your five minutes, you are – but you were basically for five minutes hosting the biggest show on television. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. and the day before you were just some guy in a club. And in those five minutes, you have to come out like like this is no big deal. Yeah. Even though it is, and you gotta block that out. So it was right after grunge had gone mainstream into the hot topic. So even guys like me who grew up in the hair metal years were having our shirts untucked. <laughs> so I asked my mom if she saw it. And she said, yes, I did. I go, well, what'd you think? And she goes, uh, you had your shirt untucked. It looked like you were wearing a dress. <laughs> you, need to t- <laughs> you need to tuck it in. And I was just like, all right, thanks, Mom. Yeah. Thanks. Really so you, then the next time down. I did it, I wore a suit. Oh, yeah. You know? And <laughs> I, I asked her, I said, what'd you think? She goes, uh, she goes, you shouldn't do any more short sets. You're much better when it's long. <laughs> Longer. And I just want to be like, yeah, well, I'll try to tell Coda to tighten up his monologue. So, I have insomnia. I can't sleep at all, you know? So all I do is I just, like, watch TV at night. You know, you know what I love watching? My favorite things at night. You guys ever check out, like, infomercials? Infomercials have to be, like, the funniest thing on TV now. I just love, like, the whole sales style. Because rather than good cop, bad cop, what do they have? They have, like, they have, like smart guy and then really dumb guy. Right? One guy knows all about the product. The other guy doesn't quite get what the hell's going on. So then he's got to start asking questions. Can be the most basic thing ever. He's just like, hey, Joe, what are you doing? The guy's like, you know, I'm frying an egg. Oh, yeah, you're going to put some butter in that pan? I was like, no, I'm not going to put any butter in the pan. Wait a minute. Uh, you mentioned uh, Chappelle's show was one of your earliest gigs. Do you, uh, yep. do you remember what, what kind of stands out from your time on, on that set? 
Um, you know what stood out was uh, after we shot it, people's reaction. Mm-hmm. I remember walking down the street near Caroline's and hearing people doing Dave Chappelle's Little John. A small part. Like, I remember when they did the um, the uh, the Rick James mm-hmm. um, sketch, Neil Brennan called me up because where I was living, I was a couple blocks down from where they edited it. He goes, you got to come up and see this thing. I don't know if we could top this thing. And I went in there and I walked before the general public got to see it, which yeah. was so cool to me yeah. that I was that close to something like that. And that ended up becoming like a reoccurring theme in my career where I somehow get to parrot troop into these great things and be like a small, yeah, like a Forrest Gump of, yeah. of like I, I got to do Chappelle's show. I got to do a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. And now I got to do an episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Star both Wars. of those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, start with Breaking Bad. I mean, were you a fan of that show when, when you uh, joined it? That was my show. Yeah. And it, it was funny. I just finished The Wire. Mm-hmm. I, I missed it when it came out because, you know, I was just working as a comedian. I, and I bought the DVDs mm-hmm. and I just, I was just like, I, I was just like, this is the greatest friggin' show I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe like the depth that they went into all the different yeah. angles in each season, absolutely the new characters. And I was blown away by it and I needed a new show. And I remember I saw the billboard. I never heard the expression breaking bad. Yeah. I just saw the billboard and I was, and it was just something about it. That, you know, I think it was that iconic picture of Brian Cranston in, in the in green the, shirt yeah. with one one uh, shirt tail tucked into his underwear, <laughs> yeah. which my mother would have approved of. Yeah, not the other one <laughs> hanging out. And um, I think standing in front of the RV, and I just remember thinking, like, I'm going to watch that show. I need a new show. I said to my girlfriend, now my wife, you want to watch it? Let's check it out. And um, we watched the pilot. And I was just hooked. Yeah, and that's by like the, th- the greatest pilot uh, and, uh, to hook to hook you in. Oh yeah. yeah. And by the third episode, I called my agent and was just like, you, "I, if you can get me on anything, get me on this." Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't care if I got to be just some guy in the background carrying a tray of meth. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I just want to be on the show. And uh, Philip Grenz, who was my manager back then at uh, William Morris, and. Uh, he called them up, and I think because I was part of that first wave mm-hmm. of every actor wanting to be on it, I somehow got across their desk. And fortunately, they, I guess, used to watch a lot of comedy clips in the writer's room, mm-hmm. and they were aware of who I was. So they said, all right, let's, let's put, him, put him on tape. Let's see if he can act. So I believe I read some of uh, uh, Jess, like Badger's uh, lines. Mm-hmm. I think I, I read... Interestingly enough, that actor does some voiceover work on our Ephesus family. Oh, yeah? yeah, he's amazing. And um, I, uh, yeah, so I just, I, re- I, yeah, I, I just read, they put me on tape and then they said, yeah, okay, they'll put a pin in you, which is this expression that mm-hmm. just means like if something comes along, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll, gi- we'll give you, uh, we'll give you a shot. And then like uh, season four. So it was another couple, two, three. I just yeah. didn't think it was going to happen, but I was still, of course, watching the show. I loved it. And it was one of the most surreal things ever to be that big a fan of something and then all of a sudden to be on. I was like, it felt like I was sucked into my TV. And mm-hmm. I never forget, it was the car wash scene was the first one we did. And when they had the clapper thing, whatever you call that mm-hmm. thing, before they start. Yeah. And I saw like the Breaking Bad. <laughs> 
Uh, and I was just, I can't believe this. And, um, and then on my earpiece, I was going to be talking to Skylar's character. And even though we didn't do a scene together, it was kind of cool. Like, oh my God, I'm talking yeah. to Skylar. And, <laughs> and, and all, all my family were totally into it. They were like, you did an episode of that? And then they were like, you know, my brother has a really good science background. He goes, oh, so they're going to be, you're going to be the symbol of Boron like twice or whatever the hell it is. Oh, yeah. on, on <laughs> From the, your name. Yeah. yeah. Bill Burr and all that. And it was just, um. You know, I got to meet all those. Amazing, and, and that was like one of the tightest ships, probably the tightest ship I've ever been on as far as like, like, hey, you know, your schedule at nine o'clock and at nine o'clock you were yeah. working and it, you, you made your Southwest flight back later on that day, which is unheard of if you worked as an actor that day. And it was just, you know, Vince Gilligan is the reason why I have an acting career. So. Can I help you? Yeah. Thanks. What were you just kidding? What's this about? I'll tell you what this is about, Mr. Banky. This is about you and me doing our best to keep Huel happy. Huel? Who's Huel? This is Huel. Huel, you happy? Reasonably. What would make you unhappy? This little mofo not doing what he's told. And if you were to become unhappy, Mr. Banky wouldn't care for that? I'm going to say no. Well, there you have it. Let's go find your checkbook. Ready? Here we go. All right, we're walking, we're swinging our feet. There you go. Very nice. Beautiful place you have here. This way. Are you in the uh, Jesse Pinkman uh, movie by any chance? Uh, I don't no, I, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess if I said I'm not allowed to say, then you knew that I was, but no, I'm not. Okay. All right. Uh, so you also mentioned the Mandalorian. Yep. Are you were you a big Star Wars guy no. growing up? No, not no. at all. I how'd, was a. How'd uh, you end up in that? Um, Mike Binder again. Yeah. Mike Binder's name comes up again. Uh, is friends with John Favreau, and it was Mike's uh, 29th birthday. Wink, wink. And uh, <laughs> uh, I went there, and John was there, and I think I had met him a couple times on F is for Family. Uh, Vince Vaughn is the reason why that show got yeah. going. He he came out on the pitch meetings because a comedian doing an animated show, not like they haven't done it before because Howie Mandel, Louis Anderson, mm -hmm. Bill Cosby, a bunch of people did animated shows, but just hadn't been done in a while. So I don't think that show gets sold if he doesn't go out on the uh, the pitch meetings because they're like, all right, uh, yeah. seems weird, but that's Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll give you six episodes. So... Um, just through them, I I think Vince and and Mike Biner, I kind of got to know John a little bit, and mm -hmm. then like he listens to my podcast, so I've always just anybody gets excited about anything like the Game of Thrones final episode, I just make fun of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. I, anytime a Star Wars came out, I always made fun of him. <laughs> How old are you? Why are you still dressing like Boba Fett and all this shit? And then so he was at the thing. He goes, "Hey man," he goes, "This is part man. We're thinking about maybe using you for." And I would literally joke, just like, John, you know I make fun of Star Wars all the time. I go, I'm a sports guy or anything. You know, give that to somebody, you know. And he's just like, no, I think that would be funny. I think it would be <laughs> funny for your fans to see you in that thing. So I just said, all right, let's do it. So, uh, no, why don't, no, no. My wife, Nia, was there. Yeah. And was just going, yeah, you should do it. I think it would be cool. So she gives me the best career advice. So I said, all right. <laughs> Not like I was going to say no to John Favreau. I don't give a shit what he was doing. I was going to say yes. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, so then we went to go shoot it, and um, it was ended up just being this amazing experience. It was really, really fun in the way that they shot it. I hope I say his last name right. Rick Famuyiwa, uh is the director, 
and he I, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to get in trouble, but the yeah. way he shot it, I was just like, oh, wow, this isn't like, this isn't your dad's Star yeah. Wars. This, this is, is another level. Yeah, well, now that the trailer's out, I mean, if you look at it, it looks like a spaghetti western to mm -hmm. me. It yeah. just looks so, so fucking badass that I'm like, you know, because I'm more like when it comes to sci-fi, the little that I watch, I like Blade Runner. The first and the mm -hmm. second one. I like that movie that uh, Sam Rockwell did, Moon, mm -hmm. was incredible. Like, I'm into that sort of creepy yeah. sort of thing. I'm not, you know, um, I was just too old by the time I saw Star Wars. And, and, you know, it was geared towards kids and stuff like that. And I was just too old. And I was watching, like, Fast Times at Ridgemont High by mm -hmm. the time it came out. So. Yeah. Um, what, but, do you, what do your fans think of, of the fact that you're in a Star Wars uh, I don't think a lot thing. of them know yet. Yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you think they'll think? They think it's funny. They think it's uh but I what's what is cool is I have a lot of sports fans mm -hmm. who that listen to my podcast because I talk a lot about sports. So what I'm hoping is this will drive them into like the kind of sci-fi that I like and but mm -hmm. I know like um you know, some of the technology, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. And these Star Wars things, it's just it's like, you know talking about the federal reserve or something so yeah i know you it's get, just you get the, in trouble the technology was just was next level the way that they were shooting this thing to the point one of them i was almost getting dizzy yeah because like i'm talking to you and they have like the background moving and oh, shit God. you know if we start to turn like that i was just like oh is this what vertigo feels like <laughs> so you really got to lock in yeah, on the, that sounds <laughs> tough yeah, so, um, but there are, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't wait for that to come out. Yeah. Like, that's one of those things, even if I wasn't in it, like, uh, you know, when a great show's coming out, you just, it's kind of great from the trailer, I mm -hmm. feel. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has that, the wire, Breaking Bad, like, mm -hmm. sort of the way it's getting its hooks in me. Like, when um, I think the last day, I was right before I was going to shoot the last scene. Uh, John came out. He goes, "Hey, you gotta see this. We just we just cut the trailer." And I, you know, you don't get it. All the only sides you get is your scene, so mm -hmm. you have no idea. Yeah, you so don't this, know the whole story. This was the whole thing. Yeah. And I was just watching it. Uh, you know, you've seen the thing where they have yeah. the stormtrooper heads like on like a, mm -hmm. on, a on a stake. I was yeah, just yeah. like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm in this." I was geeking, and I I came home. Um. And I was telling my wife, I was like, Nia, you can't fucking believe how this thing looks. I yeah. mean, it just looks so, so badass. So I am, uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that, cool. as you can tell. Um, so the last thing we do on the show um, is I ask uh, comedians, what's the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? So it could be someone you saw do stand-up or uh, a movie, a TV show, just something that, that oh, really made God. you laugh. Okay. You know who really made me laugh? I, I started watching that reboot of 90210. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I never watched the first one. And uh, Tori Spelling yeah. has this amazing sense of humor about everything that's happened to her, about being written out of her will and everything. And I just thought it was such a cool way, because I never watched the first one. Yeah. Um, but just the way that they've put it's sort of genius the way they put this thing together. Yeah, that's what I hear. I haven't seen it yet. But. Yeah, and I just was like watching it going, oh, this she's cool as shit. She's really, <laughs> really funny. Um, kind of making fun of herself a little bit. Yeah, they all are. So yeah. it's kind of, uh, it's it's like they beat you to the punch. Um, but she's really funny. And then yesterday I did uh, Tom Papa and Fortune Feimster's show. 
and they were, they were talking about, I have a pilot's license and I'm going for my instrument rating. Mm -hmm. And she goes, so what's the difference? And I was saying, right now I just, private pilot, I mean, if the skies are clear and blah, blah, blah. And I was, you know, doing all this technical explaining of my pilot's license. So she goes, oh, so you can base it, you can fly when it's nice out. (laughs) 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 And that so cracked me up because every pilot likes to feel like they're a badass on some level that they're doing it. And just for her to reduce it like that, like I'm, I'm take, I'm giving her credit. But anybody asks me, what sort of pilot's license do you have? That's what I'm saying. Now. Yeah. I can basically fly when it's nice out. <laughs> um, really made me laugh. And she is one of my favorite. There's another person I should have brought as far as comics. Yeah, like she's great. No, she is a a a monster act. That's that's going to uh, be playing huge venues. Is is like she has such a. She's so unique, but she has such a cool, like, I love her swagger. Like, mm-hmm. she's fucking cool as shit on stage and super smart. And I've always said I love uh, super smart people being silly, Yeah, you know? And she's and a great storyteller. Like, um, I can't wait. She actually has a special that she's going to be shooting soon for Netflix. So I'm really looking for That one I'm going to watch because yeah. uh, I don't watch most specials because I'm too f- afraid to have somebody's hour in my head mm-hmm. and, ju- and somebody else's hour and somebody else's hour in 10, 15 years from now thinking, hey, this is my reference and that's somebody yeah. else's. But like, she's so different where I'm just like, there's no way. Yeah, you I'm guys gonna... are not going to overlap. No, there's no overlap there. I think that's why I get so much joy watching her. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in and doing this today. All right. Thank you for having me, man. Great right. questions. Thank you again to Bill Burr for being my guest on this week's show. His special, Paper Tiger, is now streaming on Netflix, and you can see him in The Mandalorian coming November 12th on Disney+. There's also a new season of F is for Family expected to drop on Netflix sometime next year. And you can find his stand-up tour dates at BillBurr.com. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and edited by Mackenzie Mazell. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week! Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.